Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. You are now tuned to Future Sense here on BFM through till 11 o'clock this morning with myself, Nick Jeans, and my co-host over the, uh, the other side of the space control here, Steve McDonald. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Nick. How are we doing today? Good, good. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So much going on. There's so much to talk about. It's uh, always interesting for us to try and bring it down to a sort of uh, a measurable um, show that uh, we can... You know, try and bring you I know that's the thing there's so much we could talk about so many things we could talk about offer to expand and to add to the debate about many issues to do with the future as it unfolds where are we going the sense of future that we all hold ourselves and the I guess the cultural and collective uh, futures that we possibly may may uh, give investment to the various ways we see things quite extraordinary and of course that creates uh, a lot of conflict between people and between nations between communities in the world, and we see at the moment, of course, the, the, the major conflicts on the planet to which uh, continue. We've seen a sort of flare up between India and Pakistan in the last week. We've seen the ongoing crisis in Venezuela, which is a very complex, uh, complex uh, um, story. There, we're seeing the issue with, of course, North Korea and South Korea. Interestingly, that that uh, South Korea and the USA have uh, decided all of a sudden after the truncated um, cl- um, summit between uh, Kim Jong Un and Donald Trump, the other day a few days ago um, that was uh, withdrawn from suddenly South Korea and uh, the US have sort of backed off their very large war games to a much more uh, smaller um, exposition of their military power what's that about interesting yeah a few mm. things going on uh, behind or underneath the surface I think there. indeed and yeah. uh, we'll talk a little bit about that perhaps in terms of conflict we're going to be looking at the aspect of conflict itself and uh, just how we're going to do that a little bit uh, Steve can flesh that a little bit this morning Sure. Well, much conflict is about clashing values. And of course, uh, Claire Graves' understanding of human nature is very much about understanding values and how values change and and how they interact. So we'll take a look through his lens of uh, human conflict and uh, also in the process of doing that, look at the change dynamic, you know, how things change, why things change, what drives change and the human experience of that. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. Yes, BFM, you are tuned now to Future Sense here with uh, Nick and Steve on uh, your only, own and only radio station, BFM 999. And yeah, the, uh, the Meet the Candidates Forum on March the 18th down at the Community Centre. It's going to be a pretty big event. And uh, thanks to Angela Caterns, who we've made a wonderful contact with here at BFM, and she's helping us out a little bit. And she's also going to be hosting that particular event very, very fine stuff there. Um, before we move on to talking particularly about con- con- uh, conflict, I can't even say the word conflict. <laughs> I, I can't even say it. Um, a couple of things that are happening right now. You may have already heard that the very first private ship to dock with the space station has just done so, the Dragon. 
Uh, everyone before that was owned by a nation, not a corporation. And this, of course, is a SpaceX venture, which is uh, which is Tesla and uh, Elon Musk. And um, the U.S. hasn't yet been able to get its astronauts to space since the space shuttle, which is pretty amazing, without uh, buying rides off Russia, apparently. But so this time, it's as a corporation. It's a it's Elon Musk's SpaceX Corporation, which has managed to dock with the space station. Interesting stuff. Yeah, just to, to clarify, mm. uh, as I understand it, I don't Thank think you. SpaceX has anything to do with Tesla. They're two separate organisations. Oh, they are, of course, uh, involved. Uh, Elon Musk, yeah. Mm. Yeah, okay. Well, that's that's a big connecting factor. Everybody knows Elon Musk. Yeah. But I guess that's uh, yeah, my, my little bit of ignorance there about the connection between the interesting. But uh, how do you see this? Because that, that sort of... Uh, um, the corporate, the private, uh, going into space and spending that money to do this with the idea of taking people in, into space once they manage to come back through the atmosphere, apparently in quite a hot entry, uh, and whether that actually works or not. There's apparently there's a dummy on board. There's no humans on board the, the, the SpaceX um, docker. Yeah, it's very interesting. It fits with a trend that I'm seeing, and that is a trend beyond uh, the nation-state being the ultimate sort of organising um, body within a within a particular area mm-hmm. and um, nation states of course were created with the rise of the modern scientific industrial era and we should expect the, the idea of the nation state to change radically somehow with this paradigm shift that we're um, we're just starting to go through now into the sixth layer so that it is interesting and, and but not unexpected that we see you know things like that which mm. are quite extraordinary when you think about it um, being taken over by by other organisations, mm. you know, other than the nation state. It's also interesting in terms of the context of a lot of today's show regards conflict. That it is an area of exploration, space exploration, where an unusual amount of uh, cooperation has occurred between uh, between uh, states, such as uh, Russia and the US and China and other states, India and the like. So yes, it, it sort right. of has transcended a lot of <clears throat> the normal sort of levels of conflict back here on the planet. It would seem. It has to some extent, yeah, although I think there's been a lot of secretive military action in space that we that hasn't been okay. generally reported, um, certainly some that I've heard about, mm. uh, even to the point of um, the possibility of weapons having been launched from space uh, without general public knowledge. Uh, and uh, as, as we often say, the, the modern scientific industrial era um, pushes things to the limits and as it transitions out of dominance we can expect it to go out with a rush so just like a, a combustion engine that slowly wears down over time initially when it starts to wear down the engine mm. runs faster because the, the friction between the parts is wearing down mm. but eventually that they'll wear down to the point where the engine loses compression and basically fails fairly quickly and i would expect to see the the modern scientific industrial era's dominance go out in the same way so it'll keep pushing everything to to the limit mm. right up to the point where it doesn't work anymore mm. yeah well. and, and i think an example of that is just the, the fairly recent push uh, overtly by the united states to militarize space with the creation of a space command mm. yeah yes and uh well it's a little bit of a leap we'll probably come back to that the issue with north korea and, and uh, south korea and uh, the the the, uh, the the summit that just occurred with uh, Trump and Kim Jong-un, which uh, ended belatedly, as we heard. But suddenly uh, the war games, the huge war games, that often feature a quarter of a million troops, South Korean and US troops, has been, have been uh, rolled back significantly at this time. And that's uh, a curious result, given that the 
the summit was uh, was stopped uh, unusually, and some people say because of the influence, particularly of John Bolton, on American policy. Yeah, I would expect so. I mean, mm. looking at John Bolton's history, he's been uh, a real uh, anti-North Korea advocate, and um, he seems to have a general interest, if you look at his history, his political history in particular, in uh, promoting conflict in, in some ways. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he threw a spanner in the works there. And an interesting mix of values between um, uh, you know, North Korean leader and, and Trump and uh, Bolton, of course. Yes, well, um, Bolton was involved apparently in the sort of Libya model of uh, of uh, changing, of um, denuclearizing, and uh, you know, supposedly democratizing Libya. But of course, that ended up in Gaddafi being removed and and uh, and killed by 2011. And by U.S. Uh, by U.S.-backed operations, so you know, I guess it's, people don't easily trust America's uh, game here very, very no, well. I, and fair enough. Often with those sorts of things, there are hidden agendas which just aren't made public. Uh, which and, and often, mm-hmm. you know, the excuses that are put out into the media are, are uh, a cover story. I guess. And I guess that sort of cover story and those things that are held back and kept secret are just part of the of the trope of, of a certain expression of consciousness in regards to conflict, how it, how it manages conflict. It doesn't come out and be honest about its approach. It actually hides and obfuscates and manipulates and manufactures consent. Often that's the case. Particularly, said. Yeah, particularly with uh, Layer 5, the, the scientific industrial mindset, it's very much mm. about the public image. And you know, if you think back to the, the 80s in particular, you know, the idea of a corporate public image was a very big thing. And a lot of people made their profession out mm. of crafting those images mm. and controlling the image so that the, the um, public perception of what was going on within an organisation was very much designed and presented the way that the, the people running the organisation wanted it to be seen. It's astounding these days in, uh, in commercial media how advertising is almost the, the most advanced technological uh, um, creative exposition on film that exists in doing exa- exactly that, managing the perception of a company, of a corporation and their products and the practices. Yeah. <laughs> um, on a completely different topic, topic before we launch into the big one for today um, really interested to see Martha Stewart many of you would know who Martha Stewart is an American retail executive a businesswoman, a television personality a former model and uh, runs a thing called uh, Living Omnimedia Martha Stewart and uh, is uh, current, currently has a show uh, on television apparently a, a cooking show with Snoop Dogg uh, but Martha Stewart is teaming up with the world's largest cannabis company called Canopy Growth Corporation in an advisory role to help develop a broad new line of products for both people and animals. And she says, I'm looking forward to working with the Canopy Growth team, said the 77-year-old Stewart. I'm especially looking forward to collaborating and developing products that can help people and their treasured animal companions. And as I said, Stuart co-hosts a cooking show with rapper and giant pothead Snoop Dogg and knows how to roll a joint. An interesting canopy is based in Smithsville, Canada. It's not an American, it's a Canadian operation. It's conducting several clinical trials exploring how cannabis compounds can improve human and animal health. So quite a wonderful forward-thinking thing there and part of the, the movement, of course, in medicinal, um, in new, medici- new medicines, medicinal uh, components of, of uh, psychoactive substances that exist in the world. We talk about that quite often here. Yeah, cannabis forging ahead, of course. You know, While the US has certainly been a global leader in terms of uh, the acceptance of cannabis as a medicine and, and uh, for recreational use, 
uh, cannabis, cannabis Canada has, uh, of course, leapt in and, and made it illegal recreationally. Yeah. Um, and, and we should bring your attention to the uh, 2019 UIC, which stands for United in Compassion, uh, Medicinal Cannabis Symposium, which is coming up on the 22nd, 23rd and 24th of March, which will be present at in various ways, uh, here from Future Sense and some others. Yeah, I'm going to go along to that. That's mm. being held at Tweed Heads. Yeah. And uh, there is information on the unitedincompassion.com.au website if anyone's interested in finding more uh, information. And uh, the day before the conference or the symposium mm. begins, there's a one-day educational uh, session from Dr. David Caldercott, who's, a, yeah. of course, a well-known media figure and uh, advocate for... Pill testing, Pill testing in particular, in particular yeah. and, and drug law reform. Strongest uh, He'll be mm. teaching that, and it's designed for healthcare professionals. So, mm. I know we've got plenty of healthcare professionals in our region here. Anyone who's interested in doing that one-day program with Dr. David Caldercott up at Tweed Head is only hundred dollars for the day, which I think is very, very reasonable mm. and should be quite insightful. Mm. Very good. And then the conference is Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So that's on, as Steve said, unitedincompassion.com.au. I'm surprised that so many people, not many people, it seems that I'm aware of, know that much about this conference. Which is coming up in just three weeks' time, or just under three weeks' time. That's right. In fact, I hadn't heard of it myself. No. Not, not that I, I don't follow the medical cannabis area that closely, but a friend from Nimbin uh, tipped me off recently that it was coming up. Where else? <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes, it's going to be very interesting. So today, as we said, we're going to be talking particularly, although we'll bring some other factors into it and possibly bring some other news to you because we've got lots of things in front of us here later in the show, but human conflict. Um, and of course, even with regards to, I guess, the, the marijuana issue, uh, medicinal cannabis and the, the change in marijuana laws around the world that are slowly moving through, conflict is about change, either resisting it or forcing it. And uh, that's a pretty straightforward definition of conflict, really, isn't it? It, it is, I think, yeah. Um, and that, this is from the human perspective, of course. I mean, change is a very natural thing and, and nature's changing all the time, of course. Uh, and we're looking here in particular at human behavior and human values and humans generally tend not to like change they once things are stable and everything's working then then people often will uh, make great efforts to keep things stable Um, because simply because i I guess uh, change is very much uh, related to and impacting on our values our human values and once we know what we want and know what we like and know what pleases us and helps us to live and cope, then uh, we like to stick with that rather than choosing something different, you know, which is, of course, choosing the unknown to a certain extent. And I guess in our history, we've sort of got almost genetically this notion that change actually is so disruptive and uncomfortable uh, that we avoid it, even though usually, or it seems, the result longer term is the positive uh, expansion of human consciousness and, and value systems and beingness on this planet. But initially, when that uh, that rush of change uh, comes into culture or into a personal life, it's not an easy place to, to sit inside yourself. No, that, that's true. And we seem to have this dark obsession with unexpected, radical, traumatic change when it comes to our media, you know, in this, this media era that we're living through. Most of our news programs are about traumatic change. Mm. Uh, mm. And, and this is, so there's this strange fascination with that. Yeah, when we, to start with, though, there's a difference, of course, between uh, what is called translational change, minor change, and transformational or more major changes. Can you flesh that out a little bit? Sure. So, so in the world of, uh, of change management, uh, which I, I worked in for quite a while, 
Um, these words are used to describe minor change and major change. So translational change mm. where, you know, for example, like literally if you're translating a word from one language to another language, you're not changing the meaning of the word, you just change a change. So translational change is, is relatively minor change where you're not changing the underlying substance of whatever mm. it is, you're just changing their the surface level. Mm. Uh, and uh, transformational change transforms the nature of whatever mm. it is. That's the form changes. Exactly, form changes. exactly. So uh, to use a computer analogy, which is quite common in the, the sort of change arena, arena rather, um, translational change might be tidying up your desktop or if you have a Windows machine, defragging your hard drive. Apparently they still do that on Windows machines. Uh, so you're reorganizing things within an underlying system but not changing the underlying system. Whereas if you are upgrading your operating system then that would be transformational change because you're impacting the entire system and the, the basis of how it operates yes yeah very good now in graves's work that we refer to often here and if you're an, a first-time listener or a rare listener then you may not be familiar with claire w graves you can go to our, our podcasts and uh, go back over the many shows that where we talk often from that perspective, Claire W. Graves' work, if it interests you. And uh, just while we're on that topic on iTunes and other podcast platforms, so you can search Future Sense. So we talk a lot from that uh, the perspective of Claire W. Graves, who was a developmental psychologist uh, from uh, the 50s, 60s, 70s, and into the early 80s in America, and a model that um, we find to be uh, very useful in looking at uh, many aspects of human endeavor and transformational potential on the planet, evolution, if you will. So we're looking at the sequence of change in that model. Let's, how does it work, the change? How does change come upon people in the first place? Because as you said, you get settled in where you are, in that place that feels comfortable, uh, your society, your culture, uh, your religion perhaps, uh, your, your belief systems, generally your value systems, and yet something happens along the way that uh, impels change in people and then in, in wider society. Yeah, and Graves tied this to uh, life conditions, what he called life conditions, which is really an all-encompassing word that means everything that, that has an impact on you mm. uh, from physical life conditions to psychological life conditions. Mm. So all of your own psychological history and anything that you know is stored in there and still impacts your behaviour, mm. uh, all of these things can uh, have the result of... of triggering a change process in us and of course we live in a in an environment in a, in a universe that is constantly changing and so it's necessary for us to periodically at least change in a transformational way mm. so that we are able to cope with life and the complexity of the problems that are thrown at us mm. and as our universe is slowly becoming more complex then uh, living within it means that our consciousness needs to be more complex also and so there's this uh, interesting dance, and Graves represented it as a double helix or a spiraling double helix uh, shape between the life conditions that we're living within and the adaptive uh, tendency of human consciousness. And, and he said that the, the life conditions are essentially the driver in that when our, our consciousness and its coping capacity matches the complexity of our life conditions, things are stable for us, there's no need for change. But as soon as our life conditions change, and they can change, of course, uh, towards greater complexity, or sometimes there'll be a, a regression also, and they'll change to, to mm. greater simplicity. Mm. Then our consciousness will naturally adapt to that, and that's a, that's an inbuilt aspect of, of human nature that we are adaptive in that way, and our our mind and our body is adaptive mm. uh, in, in that way also. So it's it's very interesting to think about it that way, and and uh, it provides a, a wonderful alternative 
avenue for approaching change, and that is instead of wanting to change a person, to actually look at that person's life conditions and understand that that person is who they are and they're Mm. expressing what they're expressing because of their adaptation to a certain set of life Mm. conditions. And so by addressing their life conditions, we can trigger a change process in a much more harmonious and smooth way rather than directly, you know, uh, approaching a person and trying to force somebody to change. Mm. Yes, as we've said before, in a sense, walking in another's moccasins to some degree, that aspect of being able to um, see how another person actually is and lives and where they're coming from within that structural structure of value systems. And if they're comfortable there, you can't force change on them, but you can inspire, as you're saying, ways for people to... Uh, rethink if things aren't working out for them because that's the key isn't it when there's already a sort of disruption in the being and on some level psychologically something that's not happy not settled not satisfied not fulfilled in some way or other even though they may have been for all their lives and they've come to a point in their lives where that's not working anymore they need to start thinking about how they view life yeah so we we talk about uh, evolutionary tension there needs to be some kind of tension to mm. motivate us to change and it doesn't always need to be a negative tension it might be a very positive tension for an, for example an aspiration that really excites us and motivates us to, mm. to change our world mm. or change ourselves and uh, as we go up through the spiral of human values through these different layers which each have their own set of values we've got this alternating pattern between wanting to change the world in the individual oriented layers and wanting to change ourselves to fit with the world in the communally oriented layers and so depending on which layer is dominant for for us an individual at any particular time then the individual will be likely to either want to try and change the world around them to fit with the way that they want it to be or conversely to want to change themselves to adapt to what's happening around them yeah and of course it's a very personal thing i mean it may be a community thing or communal or family thing or even a national thing eventually but essentially the drivers for evolutionary change are not the same for everybody are they so you you can't sort of impose uh something to push people into change uh, just because you think that's the right way. It might be for you and your friend over here and someone on the other side of the world there, but it's not necessarily the driver that's going to move somebody else to change. No, that's right. And so part of taking this integrative approach to human nature that Claire Graves uh, wonderfully explored for us is coming to an understanding that there's no such thing as uh, one human nature that applies to all humans. You know, everybody has a la- layers and layers of mm. different values which are expressed uh, often according to their dominant layer, which is the, the most mm. uh, complex layer that they've grown into. Uh, but also, we're also very changeable and each individual can shift from one layer of values to another, You know, either regressing to more simple values or growing to more complex values. And so it's a very, very complex picture. And what it tells us is that you know, there's no one size fits all for human nature or human beings. And secondly, even for an individual, you know, their their nature can change from one moment to the next, depending on their life conditions and depending on which uh, set of values they're expressing in the moment. So we really need to to delve deep and understand each individual person and their individual set of life conditions, their unique set of life conditions. Mm. And, and because we are each unique, you know, no two people are the same, even if we're living in the same physical life conditions, our psychological life conditions can be radically different simply because of our, our makeup. Yeah. yeah. And uh, certainly would, it would seem, and do you agree, folks out there, that it's uh, becoming even more complex to really take in all of these uh, 
these factors into the complexity of our life on this planet right now. To me, that's a very exciting thing, and I'm observing my experience only. I'm observing many people uh, more and more open for no particular reason, perhaps, or maybe they're driven by something, something very small, as Steve's saying, internally, or perhaps by some external factor in their life that's come to come to uh, into their presence, into their awareness. But there seems to be a, a, a much a, a, an opening towards the acceptance of a more complex system in which we are living. Interesting, just to grab something that you mm. said there. You said no particular reason. That's a very interesting statement because there will always be a reason for change. There's always some evolutionary tension, but sometimes we're not conscious of it. Yeah, yeah, right. And so we say, well, for no apparent reason, I can't see why this is mm. happening, you know. Um, so it's really, it's important to understand that and uh, realise that for a lot of people, they're not conscious of what's driving them, them to change. In fact, you know, sometimes they're even not really conscious of the process that mm. we're involved in. And certainly there, there's no general understanding out there of... The, the dynamic of change and the sequence that we go through, you know, except for you know for people who've studied human nature or change, they, they might know about that, but most people don't. It's yeah. not something that we get taught in school. Should be. Though. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in fact, um, in a way, of course, we have this idea still, I think, in culture that, for example, history repeats itself, which is a very stuck kind of concept of history. Yes, we can say how, yes, things return in certain ways around, you know, wars occur, conflict occurs, for example, uh, but is it the same as it was 200 years ago or 500 years ago? No. Uh, we do things differently every every time we, we are in some way evolving, even in our, you know, our worst uh, aspects and the worst uh, things that we do to each other on this planet, somehow or other perhaps we are evolving to a, a conscious understanding of how that is and the effects of these things and how they play out in the, in the, in the bigger scheme of things over longer periods of time and the like. Yeah, that's the, the idea of change being a cycle is a very 2D uh, conception. Yeah. And part of our transformation as a species into second-tier consciousness in this increasing dimensional awareness is teasing ideas like that out into greater dimensions you know like a, a three excuse me a three-dimensional spiral which yeah. if you look at it from above still looks like a circle but if yeah. you get the side angle then you can see that there's a spiraling progression going on there so where yeah. you know the, the concepts that we're building upon are uh, sound, you know, to the extent of our ability to comprehend these things from from past value systems, and we're we're teasing out extra detail and discovering uh, the richness of some of these processes that wasn't apparent to us before. Yeah, beautiful. You're tuned to Future Sense here on BFM with uh, Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans, and thanks for a couple of texts um, in regards to our little brief cannabis chat, medicinal cannabis, and the medicinal. Uh, Cannabis Conference on the 22nd, 23rd, 24th of March coming up. Uh, this listener says, I was wondering if we could have a chat also about DMT one day. Very interesting subject and very relevant to Graves' model. DMT, of course, is dimethyltryptamine, a natural substance found in many, many, many plants, in fact, in the human being as well. So, yes, we, we occasionally talk about uh, that. We will no doubt come back to that at some point. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, your grokking future sense here on Bay FM. You're tuned to Future Sense here with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. And this morning we're focusing particularly on the, the nature of conflict and how conflict operates in the different layers of, of evolution, in the different value systems that are operating on the planet. And of course, those value systems range widely from one to the other. People are clearly not 
all in the same place on the planet, which is exactly why there is conflict at times. Indeed. Um, the sequence of change, Steve, and how it operates in terms of Claire W. Graves' system, you can flesh that out a little bit for us. Yeah, so very, a very sort of simplistic, um, easy to, to understand sequence. And there are many, many different bodies of work out there that describe the human, cha- uh, the human change process, the process of transformation from one thing to another thing. And some of them are very, very detailed. And um, one of the more perhaps most detailed ones would be the, the Chinese uh, I Ching, or Book of Changes. Oh, yes, yes, yes which indeed. Which the 64 changes, yeah. which equate to uh, Nassim Haramein's 64 tetrahedron grid as a, the underlying mm. structure of space-time, which is a, an indicator, although you know this, the science around this is, is uh, very immature. Um, but the, the connection between Haramein's geometry and the, the Chinese I Ching is quite astounding. Mm. Uh, each one of the I Ching characters has six lines in it, and each three-dimensional tetrahedron has a six lines in it also. And uh, depending on where the tetrahedron is positioned in the grid relative to your perspective on the grid, you'll see some of the lines is unbroken on the outside of the shape, and then the lines behind will be obscured, and some of them will appear as broken as they do in the I Ching mm. symbology. So very, very interesting. And what it points to, of course, is the fact that the the nature of change and the experience of change itself seems to be embedded in the fabric of space-time. Uh, it's it's all made of change, which is very interesting. Anyway, that's that's the complex version. Yes. Here's the simple version. And, and uh, hopefully, folks, you're, you're with us with that. And Nassim Harriman, by the way, is uh, is a um, how would you describe uh, him? Well, he's an American uh, revolutionary physicist, yes, I really. guess. He he doesn't have a background in physics, which is really interesting. He has a quite an, an unusual background. He's come from a very outdoors oriented career. And but has had this fascination with change and the nature of reality all his life. He um, at times has admitted to extraterrestrial contact as a child, although I don't think he's all that open about that. Um, and uh, he teamed up in more recent years with uh, a very experienced physicist whose name just escapes me at the moment. And, and the two of them have published some academic papers and he certainly speaks at conferences and those sorts of things. But he, some of his work is, is amazingly groundbreaking and it's connecting dots between things which were previously sort of thought to be unrelated. Which is what we're very interested here on this particular show, connecting dots between things that are formally unrelated or appear to be unrelated. Yeah. So we're doing that whether you take all these in or not, the sort of very grounded stuff we offer in some of the far out stuff because for us it's very interesting to encompass and uh, see how these things connect and relate to each other. Yeah, and if people want to find out more about Nassim Haramein, yeah. he's all over YouTube. Mm. Uh, he has an organisation called the Resonance Foundation, and the website is resonance.is if you want to check him out further. And he's got yeah. lots of educational material that you can sign up for. Also. Mm. So um, let's take a simple look at change, how change unfolds for us as humans. Uh, so we to, to sort of compl- take a complete view of it we'll start from a place of stability and by stability I mean a place where everything seems to be working fine and we're able to cope with whatever life throws at us in terms of problems we've got the capacity to solve those problems hands up out there who actually feels that right now in their life <laughs> oh I can see one down thank the back thank you very much and who doesn't thank you very much <laughs> so starting from stability when our life conditions change uh, the first indication that we'll get is some level of stress and usually we don't know what's causing it when we first feel it 
you know, unless we've studied the change process and we understand that, ah, oh, something needs to change as soon as we feel stressful, normally we'll kind of look for, you know, a reason. Why don't I feel right this morning? I got out of bed and for some reason things just don't seem to be right. Mm. There's a level of stress there that we usually can't identify where it's coming from. So something has changed in our life conditions, whether it be our physical, external life conditions, uh, our internal life conditions, you know, the way we feel, the way we're, we're thinking about things. Might even be a dream you had while you were asleep. It could well have been a dream. In fact, it might all be a dream. Uh, anyway, that's another story. But um, for us, so from stability, we wake up one morning and suddenly we feel some stress. And the first motivation we, we usually have as human beings when we feel that stress is to think back to a time when we weren't stressed. And in terms of transformational change, so if we're going through a major, major change that's change, you know, changing our underlying operating system, we'll, we'll desperately look for some way of resolving this stress, which is growing. And that takes us to looking back or thinking back to a time when things were good. And so we'll think back to, okay, I can remember back then when everything was cool, you know, I was happy, I didn't have any worries. Maybe if I go back to living that way, then things will be fine. It's kind of like a retrogressive trans, translational change to go back, isn't it? Like it's, just, it's an easier way. The mind kind of in some way thinks it's easy to go back a little bit into just translate back to what I know rather than... Yeah, it's, it's kind of translational in uh, the respect that we're trying to swap something out for another thing yes. and just, just see if it'll change without yes. us going through any radical change. Um, so we just kind of swap over to this, this other value set which is embedded in us, bearing in mind that these value sets evolve they de- develop like layers on top of each other and mm. so as we grow through a set of values you know at a certain age or in certain life conditions uh, we don't lose those values but we can transcend them we can go beyond them mm. to to live according to new and more complex values and so we always have access to go backwards to more simpler value sets um, and often that's usually what we do as a first reaction to feeling that stress of change you know something's Something's not right. Let's go back to living this way. Mm. And, and we hear this language all the time from our politicians and our leaders. Let's get back to whatever. Make America great again. Exactly. Just just like the good old days. Mm. And, of course, what that does by going back to a simpler value set is it actually creates more evolutionary tension. And this is why mm. we've evolved this way, because by doing this, we accelerate the change which is necessary. Mm. Whereas if, if we didn't do that, then we wouldn't be building the tension very quickly and we'd wallow in the change process for much longer, which is not an efficient thing for, from an evolutionary point Such an important point, just this simple figure that I think uh, is, if there's one thing in a way that we could impart to you, it's really this, this point about how we actually evolve, that we actually do need the tension as uncomfortable as it is, yes. as difficult as yeah. it is for many, and especially when certain people or certain collectives move back into, you know, for example, a religious position, or similar, and uh, and operate from that place, and especially in government, for example. And there's plenty of examples of that going on, even in our own government, for example, right in this time. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a big thing to consider that we need to sort of move back in order to create the tension to sling ourselves forward. Yeah, and this is embedded in our mm. in our language. You know, the old saying, oh, oh, yes. you've got to take it one step back to go too forward." It has obviously a kernel of truth in it. And in the context of the current paradigm shift that we're going through, which at a global level and the the dominant paradigm has been this scientific industrial mindset, which has been dominant for some hundreds of years, and we're moving beyond that at the moment, but in the process of change, we're initially regressing to older value sets. And so we're seeing the re-emergence of 
the fourth layer, which is a, a rigid uh, agricultural kind of life conditions imposing authoritarian mm. worldview, which comes from a time when we lived in a class-based society and you had to be born into a particular class and there was no flexibility to, to uh, change your life path in, in many respects. And so we're seeing that rigid black or white kind of thinking uh, coming out in, in mm. politics in particular. Mm. And even further, sometimes a further regression back to layer three, which is really just about the, the wielding of pure power yes. without regard for others. Yes, uh, and so both of those old value sets are showing their face at the moment. And this is building the, the evolutionary tension for the change, mm. just like pulling back an elastic band on a mm. slingshot. Yeah, it's amazing that sense when, uh, I guess, that retrogressive move back to a, a sense of righteousness, perhaps, in terms of your location in belief systems Absolutely. and value systems. Absolutely. Uh, and which, if I guess, challenge that righteousness, then uh, the possibility of regressing slightly further back to getting quite angry and militaristic about that. That's right. Like, I'm, you know, yeah. it's my way, this is the way it is, and yes. you're not seeing it. And yeah. this is the. If you this don't is, agree with me, I will smash you down. And I think that the sort of notion of value signaling. Uh, is uh, comes from that these days of what's politically correct. It's very great that we can have freedom of speech in most of our democracies, relatively speaking, and yet that really means freedom of speech ultimately, not that uh, if it fits into your particular value system, my freedom of speech, that's great. If it doesn't fit into my value system, it's not right. <laughs> <laughs> well, not it's curiously committed. ironic, all of that. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Mm. So uh, this is the first sequence in, in the change process is going from stability into, tr into stress and then this uh, regressive search for a set of values mm. that will help us cope. And, and of course, going back to older and more simpler values actually makes us cope less effectively because we're, you know, we're facing more complex problems, which is driving the change in the first place. And so yeah. we fall from that stress into uh, a place of crisis or chaos and it's in that place where everything falls apart, everything becomes untangled and loose. And that looseness is what then creates the opportunity, the space for change to occur. So things, it's very difficult to change something that's rigid. Um, so for a complex system in particular to change, then it has to loosen up. It has to let go of and, and you know morph out of the, the patterns of change that it was mm. operating on. And, uh, and it's the looseness, the freedom that's created by this collapse, this apparent chaos, which then provides the opportunity, the space for things to be reformed mm. in a different way, yes. reformation. Of course, along the way, though, there are that retrogressive step sees certain uh, certain figures come forward. The rejection of other values, for example, and uh, another example that you've you mentioned is compulsive behaviours, as you've talked about before. So, in that in that uh, slingshot thing, as we draw back to and find try to find refuge in previous iterations of ourselves, where we feel felt safe and think that the, the answers may be there, in doing so, we also start to manifest certain behaviours in our in our way of being too, yeah? We do, because we're falling back to all the value sets. We're, going to, we're placing value on different things, and so we're going to pursue different things and hang on to, to different things and hold different perspectives for sure, mm. yeah. And uh, that rejection of other value systems is an inherent aspect of the, the first tier of six value systems that Claire Graves describes in his model. So it doesn't matter which value set we're living according to, there's a natural tendency for us to assume that our values are right uh, simply because they work for us mm. and anyone who holds a different set of values is is uh, different at best and, and wrong. Often often we'll just see them as wrong. They don't know how to mm. live properly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so just to continue through the change process, we've gone through stress and fallen down into chaos and crisis, and, and it's in that place where the, the systems, our operating system, starts to fall apart to the point where it has the space to reorganize itself. Mm. So uh, regression, then reorganization, and in that space of chaos, it, it, you could think of it as like the alchemist's furnace where everything's heated up to the point where it, it's open and begins to change. Calcinadio, it's called in uh, C.G. Jung's... Um, a figure of that yeah, yeah and, and eventually from that heating up and the and the process of things falling apart we, we then shift our perspective to the point where we we can get insights and often this will come through an altered state and this is why altered states are such an important aspect of our lives and it's why people are always seeking for altered states yeah. in different ways and of course we every night we go to sleep which is an altered state of mm. consciousness and often we can get those insights through our mm. dreams uh, during sleep and sometimes uh, often when we're going through change we will seek out altered states when we're mm. awake also and that can come through uh, lots of different things you know change of routine exercise and perhaps we have a particular discipline like meditation meditation or, mindfulness practice which of course has grown hugely in western civilizations in the last generation or so exactly and all these things are, are wonderful ways to gain insights new perspectives on yeah. how things might be in the future uh, and of course, uh, there is the, the opportunity also to alter our consciousness through mm. the ingestion of something, uh, you know, whether it be al alcohol or some other drug. Sacred which can, plants of one sort or yeah, another. Yeah, and there are lots of long-term traditions around that. And indeed, that. Our, our, um, our, our general way of nurturing ourselves, the food, I think that, you know, the consciousness on the planet generally of what we eat and how we eat and uh, where it comes from and the poisons and practices of agriculture on the planet for a long time, the, the awareness of that coming... In, in the sense that not just for pure health, but also to create a foundation for clarity, in a sense, in, yeah. in the being. I think that's a motivation for a lot of people these days with uh, regards to I, I think food intake. Yeah, it's, it's a growing movement of people who are realising mm. that we're constantly moderating our state of being yes. through what we ingest, food yeah. and drink. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, yeah, in this place of chaos that we've fallen down into, uh, eventually we're going to have the insight and the breakthrough, So, and that will bring a new perspective on how things might be. And uh, in a transformational change, that new perspective will be more complex. It will take into account more factors mm. and connections between all those factors. Uh, in, in the case of the transition to layer six, which is kind of like the, the big thing that's happening at the moment, and uh, once that happens, it's like seeing the light. It's like, you know, we've been lost in the darkness and all of a sudden the lights come on and we can see the light and we, we have direction. We have uh, a sense of purpose in that we need to move towards that, which we've seen, that, that insight, that vision, a new perspective, uh, all of a sudden gives us an, an anchor, something to move towards and hang on to in a, in a space of what has been total uh, disconnection and looseness in this chaotic place yeah. where we've, we've lost the anchors of our old values that used to, you know, uh, shore us up in life, that we always made reference to 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 gain stability again. Uh, they they've fallen away. We've lost them, and now through the darkness, we've come to mm. a, a new perspective that gives us something to work towards. And we haven't yet anchored in those new values, but at least we know which way to, mm. to head to to find them. And the result of not yet anchoring most people in those values. We're talking very generally here because, as we said earlier, people are on, in different uh, um, 
parts of growth and different value systems across the planet and in, in their own, in, within communities, within families, everywhere. But the general trend, as we're seeing, is this movement towards layer six. And that moment where things open up, it's just sort of between the old values which you've let go and the new values which you can see in some visionary way ahead of you, there is a, a, a space really of quite difficult confusion, overwhelm and other uh, things that are occurring in people's consciousness and psychology now in response to that figure in this sort of in the li- in a limbo I, w- I would say between this this change Is that how you something like that yeah so this this mm. place of chaos uh, yeah. it, it happens in between each value set so mm. when, you know whether we're going from one to two or two to three or three yes. to four etc you're going to go through this um, some people have written about it from a, a spiritual perspective and called it the dark night of the soul yeah. you know this this idea of being in the darkness and not being able to see yeah. not knowing which way to head not knowing what you can hang on to um, so that's a it's a constant within transformational change through all of these systems it uh, there's a particularly large uh, change process in between first tier and second tier so going beyond six to seven because it's such a radical change uh, and it involves shifting from a, a place of being dominated by the rational mind to this uh, deeply intuitive transrational way of operating uh, and that in itself is you know quite a, an extended and difficult journey compared to the other transitions just because of the depth of change that has to go on yeah. there yeah. Um, who's feeling it out there folks i'm interested in this and of course you can't really tell us exactly but if you do want to text in zero four three seven three four triple one nine at any time zero four three seven three four triple one nine and uh, yeah, I'm interested in your perspective. Do you feel this? Do you feel this complex change in you? In, and if so, how? So let's just um, complete this change sequence. Yep. So we, we've gone now from stability into stress and regression, uh, from that place of stress to we've fallen further into crisis and chaos and a kind of systems collapse, which is the darkness, not knowing what to hang on to or where to head. And then through our own internal process, our chemical process, uh, we've had the breakthrough, we've had the, the crack, which has let the light in, some insights, a new perspective, and that then commences the process of reorganizing our own operating system. And it also energizes us because we have a direction and, and a vision of which way we need to go in order to nail down this new operating system, whatever it is. And once we, once we see that light, we start to uh, become energized again, which is quite different to the, in the chaotic phase. We tend to lack energy and we can even fall into depression uh, sometimes if we get stuck in that place. Um, but once we have the, the vision, the insight, we, we have energy to move and we feel energized. And sometimes people can be like radically energized in this phase and become evangelical, you know, before they've even quite held on or, or got hold of the new values. They just say, well, this happened to me and this is how I got out of it and you should do it too. Um, <laughs> I'm a bit like that. Uh, Aries yeah. moon, Aries yeah. ascendant, I'm you know, a bit impulsive, childlike, you know, jump in, you know, boots and all and forget to sort of fully do my research at times <laughs> yeah we, we've all been through it in our own ways during our transformational changes and uh and then what follows is a period of integration where we're we're learning about the nature of this new perspective we're starting to you know nail down these particular value sets that come with it so we've got anchor points once again and eventually over time with proper integration we'll reach a new point of stability where we've got we, we know what our values are we know who we are we know how we see the world and uh, again we're able to cope with whatever the world throws at us and it's important to point out that this 
new stability is on a different level than the old stability. So we've come in a cycle, but the cycle has been a spiral, which has taken us around in full circle, but also up a level. So uh, we're, we're at a new level of stability with greater capacity yeah. in our consciousness. And it's important to say that the, the levels, as we're talking about, are, is not a judgment between one or the other. Each level has its own integrity within its own value system for those who are situated there at the particular time that they are and important in the evolution of everything that uh, that, that process, that spiral process, actually is in is occurring. It's like a flowering. It's a, an unfolding, you could say, of human consciousness somehow. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. You're to Future Sense here. It's uh, 10.15 and we're going through till 11 o'clock, at which point pregnancy, birth and beyond is in the house. And uh, we are talking about uh, value systems, particularly with regards to uh, conflict, and we're coming to Ex, uh, express a bit of the, how that works in each layer, but uh, let's let's keep f- going through with the actual process of change that occurs and why conflict arises from uh, the clash of value systems, essentially. Yes, yeah, so we we've just uh, spoke, talked through the, the dynamic of change, the sequence, uh, how it unfolds for us from stability through stress and crisis, and then insight and breakthrough, renewal, and then new stability completes that cycle for mm. us, and in a transformational change. That process takes us from one value set to another more complex value set through a process of growth. There's been some research around the time it takes for people to grow from one value set to the next. And uh, the research that I'm aware of was on regular meditators who were practicing altered states, which would give them an advantage. You know, having an altered state practice, uh, without a doubt, gives you an advantage because of the reflection that takes place during the altered state and the opportunity for quietening the mind and receiving insights. Yes. And they found that uh, for regular meditators, you were looking at a period of around about four years to develop from one value set to the next more complex value set. that's interesting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very much tied to life conditions, obviously. So, um, Mm. you know, how generic that result is, it's hard to say. Um, But uh, it's, you know, it's a rough guide for somebody out there who's working on themselves and wondering how long it might take. Interesting. Yeah. So um, let's talk about value systems in general and when we're living from one of these value systems uh, in other words it's our dominant uh, operating system how we perceive other value sets and in the first tier of consciousness which is the first six layers in Claire Graves' model we always feel as though our values are correct they are the correct way of living yeah. you know the right ethics etc everything mm-hmm. that comes with a set of values and when we bump into somebody who has a different value set and that difference becomes apparent through interaction somehow, then uh, we'll often feel like we're right and they're wrong. Um, you know, it's, that's a very, very common thing. And sometimes there'll be this imperative that arises in us to, to want to change the other person to fit with our value set. You know, you should really see the world this way and mm. these things are important, not the things that you say. Mm. Uh, and, and this, of course, is the root of all human conflict yeah. on the planet, is this uh, rejection of other value sets and the, the, the inability to live with somebody who has a different set of values and you know, the difficulties that arise around that. Um, and in a moment, we'll just look through the first uh, yeah. six layers of value systems and talk about the very specific things that will trigger somebody to fight in a physical sense. Mm. Um, around uh, those differences it's a very tricky thing i think to acknowledge that human nature does have a very hard time uh 
opening to other sets of values when in this space and to, to recognise that it's quite a difficult psychological process because you, you, one feels safe in your value system, whatever that might be, and it's very easy to look at another person's value system and say, well, they're, they're wrong because they have an attitude towards this or they think that way about that. They might be racist or the things that, you know, we I certainly can't abide. For example, racism is a good example. And yet clearly uh, those people who are still very racist are coming from an earlier value system born out of uh, their trajectory, their history, their epigenetics, their culture, wherever it may have come from. And in the context of that, it's not wrong in and of itself. It's not the best way arguably to be on this planet certainly not but uh, it's an evolution and uh, uh, there needs to be in some sense the ability to stand in another person's shoes as we've talked about before to actually try and see another person's value system from within and to understand it enough to make some sort of connection beyond the conflict that can arise in those situations but very difficult and understandably for most people on the planet right now to take that expanded view of other value systems yeah and and what you described just at the end here is is very uh, specific to the transition from layer five to layer six is this joining of the dots you know creating this network centric perspective on the world and also very much focused on the human experience of living in that world and how we connect with each other yes and um it's it's also it's important to just grasp the fact that these values are born out of a deep hidden subconscious operating system sometimes called a a framework for making sense of reality so they're not surface level ideas that pop up you know so we're not kind of talking about somebody who likes horse racing and they're trying to convince you to like horse racing Mm. it's it's not just it's not a logical Mm. process we're talking about very very deep drivers which drive our most basic behaviors and our most basic way of of, uh, Mm. giving value to things Mm. appreciating the value of things um, so, so it is a very deep thing, and it's it's just important to remember that we're talking about a deep subconscious process, not just the you know a surface level idea of changing somebody's mind about something, which yeah. is which is different again. Yeah. And if you know, you can take any particular topic, whether it be horse racing or going to church or whatever, and you can find different people from different value systems who actually like those things, but from completely different angles, you know, from because of completely different base level yep. values subconscious values you know somebody might for example like going to the races because of the social aspect and they get an opportunity mm. to dress up you know and meet, meet new people Other you should people, have seen the hat that uh, steve just put on there <laughs> quite quite astounding <laughs> melbourne cup here i come it was the fascinator that did it um <laughs> you know and, and other people will go to the races for completely different ideas i mean just to make money you know yeah. because they love horses to be around the horses all sorts of different oh, that, my sister's a horse person she she creates uh, alternative organic horse feed and nutrients for horses very good business very solid Lovely. and she She's into horse racing because it's a lot of her clients, but I, I know she's not really into horse racing. She just loves horses. Yeah, yeah, you know? that's right. Yeah, yeah. And my dad was uh, yes. a horse racing fanatic, of that's course. Right. You know, and I, I got exposed to that when I was a kid. And, yeah. you know, he liked he liked the races. So he yeah. liked the betting. Though, yeah, well, he? he loved horses as well. He, he was, you know, when he was very young, he he worked as an apprentice jockey in mm. stables for a while until he I think he had a bad fall and his mum didn't want to do it anymore or something mm. like that. He probably then, grew too big anyway. And then there's many people who do not like such things as horse racing or greyhound racing for all the uh, the the animal rights reasons and from that value system very good reasons too that's right in fact you know my can support that myself my dad was a queenslander and had never been to the melbourne cup and years ago when i was living in melbourne i thought here's an opportunity you know so i got down to melbourne and we went to the melbourne cup and heaven uh, for him yeah it it was a great day out but actually on that day they had to shoot a horse right in front of the stands 
So there was not a, you know, unusual, a, a blatant yeah. example of, of that. Actually, the first and only time I'd ever seen it uh, yeah. in real life. How did you feel about that? When that um, I, it was a bit disturbing. You know, they yeah. I mean, yeah. they, they put up a, a barrier, like yes. a, you know, a wall thing around the but horse. you knew what was uh, happening. So nobody could see what was going on, but then the, the loud crack of the firearm going off was, you know, told the tale of what they were actually doing there. Yeah. And, it, and it was a horse that had yeah. fallen during a race and broken yeah. its leg, obviously too bad to be fixed. Yeah. So, yeah, a sad, uh, sad part of the uh, the sport there. Anyway, um, just to make the point that you know, people from completely different value sets can still like the same thing, but for very, very different reasons. So uh, that's just a a little uh, aspect of complexity of how this model works. And with each value set in the first tier, the first six set uh, of operating systems, there's always a compulsive behavior that's uh, attached to a particular set of values as well. So, And often this will be the thing that triggers the rejection in another person is your compulsion to really sell them on this particular aspect of you know, what you value. Yes. Um, you know, whether it be uh, something simple like pushing them to try harder or you know, just talking too much because you want to really you know, mm. dive deeply into who they are and connect at that deep level from, it, from the sixth layer. But there'll be a, a compulsive behavior of some sort and, and often that can be the, the sore point of like, you know, I'll just back off, you know, this is too much. And I guess in the realm of politics, this is where it comes to the fore very strongly and uh, with a lot of conflict potential, just by the very nature of the beast being a, a competitive frame of, yes. of a human endeavour. Absolutely, politics. and particularly it becomes problematic with the, the fifth modern scientific industrial mindset where the values are not always what they seem to be you know there's this um, public image idea mm. which is the outer layer that you project and then behind that you've got your head of cards mm. that you don't want to show you know no one gets to see if you've got an ace or not. a good example of this would be the sort of uh, the, the, the word uh, the concept of greenwash uh, companies claiming to be green when in actual fact it's just another mode of operation to make profit essentially yeah that, that's right and and that exploitative aspect of layer five is very problematic in the present time so we, we might actually come back to that yeah before the end of the show and talk yes. briefly about that but let's just have a look at the the first six layers mm. of value uh, systems and uh, talk about what they'll fight for at the first layer which is basic hunter-gatherer survival uh, type uh, living very very instinctive operating off your instincts and, and basic urges uh, no real complex mental concepts in operation here um, but the the obvious thing that people will fight for in that state is or at that layer of, of values is self-preservation yeah when their when their survival is threatened and it's very much a survival value set at layer one and nothing much more and of course you see it in babies and small children who cry out for the, their needs uh, immediately yeah. as yeah. it happens right now i need to be fed now i need to be something now held now exactly so, and if you misinterpret what they want then they'll re- fight to reject whatever it is that you're trying to push on them you know it's like no i've got a sore ear you know <laughs> don't do that to me uh, but they can't communicate that, so yes. they, they resort to the physical yes. action. Uh, layer two, which is the traditional tribal, mm. uh, historically, when we first came together from hunter-gatherers into larger groups and lived as tribes, or in you know, early childhood uh, where um, you're more, more than an infant, but you're a toddler and you start to think about things and you start to understand the relationships within the family unit yes. and how who, who does what and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and in a in the traditional historical sense, um, the land was sacred, and still is for those people who who are living uh, and 
um, engaging these kinds of values. Mm. Um, and that it's often very difficult for present-day people to understand the, the importance of that. Um, but the land was an integral integral part of the religious life, if you want to call it religious or spiritual the cosmology life, of the, the cosmology. Of the people, yes. and, and so there was this you know extremely strong connection to the land. And, and one of the few things that people at, at that uh, in that way of living will fight for is if you uh, transgress the sacred land, you walk on the sacred land without permission, yeah. invade their land, um, they will generally try and rectify that because they see it as a, as a great uh, trespass, mm. literally. Um, and in that... that um, because that's seen as a wrong, you know, uh, invading or, or walking on the sacred land without permission, then they'll generally seek to some, some kind of retribution or, or rectification of that, which which um, sometimes can in, involve uh, a an agreed exchange between opposing groups in a tribal sense. And it's it's interesting if you uh, read about some of the stories of tribal conflict from those days. Um, that often there was quite a, a ritual and a process around that. You know, it was almost a sacred process itself. The conflict; mm. it, wa- it wasn't just all out, mm. you know, massacring. Generally, it was a it was a, a meeting place, mm. uh, you know, where something was exchanged. Sometimes there was violence that occurred, but it was very specific and ritualized, you know, as a, as mm. a kind of uh, rectification of a, a wrong. Yes, good point. That's great. Yeah, and uh, so moving on to layer three. Uh, which is what Gray's called egocentric, a kind of a martial way of living where might is right, and it's it's we move from um, the traditional way where you're living according to tribal customs within a very fixed setting on sacred land to a much wilder way of living where raw, the use of raw power is seen as uh, the appropriate way to live, and and this came historically when we busted out of our tribal lands and. Uh, You know, I've been looking for examples of um, when this occurred historically, and it's it's difficult to find them because this happened at a time before our our current recorded history. Uh, You know, when as a species we busted out of tribalism and into this more mobile um, kind of martial way of living where we would invade other people's lands and appropriate their resources and those sorts of things. You've used the example for um, people like um, Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan is the classic example. You know, he had had such a massive impact on the world, uh, conquering, you know, all of that landmass from the the east right across the... And to whom many of us are actually related because of him spreading his seed uh, (laughs) so far and wide. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. Um, And and so, yeah, you know, power is the ultimate determiner of, of who's right and who's wrong. Uh, and and people who are living from that value set will actually fight for the fun of fighting because they yeah. know, they're, they're motivated to um, be powerful and be on top of other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very Game of Thrones, <laughs> all of that. Yeah, and, and, and the phrase uh, that I'm reading in part of Graves' thing here is, is the lack of consequence awareness. The, the lack of awareness yes. about the consequences of your actions. That's right. And, and at this stage, uh, talking historically with the development of, of our species, uh, this emerged before the frontal full development lobe. of the frontal yes. lobes in the brain, which, which are really our, our moderating system that allow us to rationalize and moderate those more primal instincts that we have. Mm. But, you know, the, the layer three is still part and parcel of life in the present day, and we see it expressed in sport most commonly uh, you know and, and occasionally in in the, the wild uh, argument or fight that you know people will get into when they've, they've lost control rational control of themselves 
Um, and you certainly, in sport, I mean, if you look at conflict sports like boxing, uh, mixed martial arts, those sorts of things, you'll see people there who just love fighting, yeah. you know, and they're passionate about it and they'll do it. They're, they're doing it within a rule set usually. So it's, it's kind of a... a an advanced layer three, you know, where there's a bit of layer four, there's a rule set, there are things that you can't do and people agree to abide by those rules. But within the rule set, they'll express the wildness uh, of conflict. Mm. Um, so mm. it's, it's still it's still very much part and parcel of life. And, and of course, you, you know, you've got uh, wars and international conflict where we see it being expressed in that way on a large scale. Mm. And then layer four, which is the authoritarian uh, mindset. This is where the frontal lobes have kicked in. The rational mind is in charge now, and we can rationalize things. We can think about cause and effect, which allows us to, to make plans for the future. It allows us to moderate our behavior so we, we can realize rationally, okay, if I really would like to punch this guy in the head, but if I do that, then it's going to mess up my arrangement to marry his mm. sister, and therefore I'm not going to do it. And thus the, the judicial systems arise in this frame too, don't they, to, to uh, mitigate, to... Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. To you know, help the, resolve those particular conflicts when you know that if I do this, but I've just done it, and then there's this consequence here, and having to actually find a, um, a judgmental balance in yeah, that frame. So yeah. Absolutely. And that, that idea of a balance of some sort is common to the communal systems. So, you know, two, four, six, yeah. where, you know, in, in two, the traditional tribal, there's this balance with nature that we manage. And in layer four, it's very much a, a matter of justice, the balance of, you know, um, balancing out wrongdoings and, and yes. you know, or, con um, or controlling your evil deeds supposedly yeah, as is expressed here but uh, when you look at some of the institutions they haven't done a very good job of that hello George Pell oh sorry <laughs> let's not go there just let's not go there today um, so this system layer 4 will fight ideologically so mm. it will uh, often because it's a, an authoritarian system it looks for a higher authority to follow a higher authority that dispenses a set of rules to live by and then that becomes a dogma, uh, and, and it's this set of values that our major religions were born out of uh, with their uh, sets of rules, various sets of rules on how to live uh, righteously. And uh, it's that righteousness, that ideology, that dogmatic adherence to a set of rules that they will fight for, uh, and, and that's seen as a duty. It's their duty to defend that. Yeah. And, of course, one of the, the classic examples historically were the, uh, the Crusades, the religious Crusades. Yes which occurred uh, in the Middle East. Mm. And I guess um, commensurate with that or um, correlated with that to things like witch burnings, uh, on another scale, another part of that, uh, suppression of the female, suppression of the, yeah. of the wild, and suppression of the natural connection that originally came from an earlier times, perhaps, and uh, and we're rediscovering too, but that, uh, that notion that if you go outside of the frame of uh, religions and what has been dispensed from above uh, that you are somehow evil and have to be punished in the system. Yeah, another great example of mm. conflict coming out of a mm. clash of values. And then layer five, the modern scientific industrial. So the, the key driver here is personal success and uh, the, the nature of organisation within layer five is one of separation and individuation. So compartmentalisation, uh, compartmentalisation, exactly. So often the people who are making the strategic decisions are not in touch with the end result of their decisions, and it's that separation, that standing apart from, that allows people to um, endorse and, and seek out 
physical conflict mm. for economic gain in particular. Yeah. And of course, that's become uh, a well-established business model in the world now, where there's a, a you know, quite an industry, the military-industrial complex, mm. as it's called, built around making money out of warfare. Yeah, well, I think uh, you know many people supported Barack Obama in many ways, as I did at the time. Much better president than arguably than many other presidents. You know, that's an arguable fact. But the fact is also that this president, that president Obama, sent more drones, more technology to kill more people and more collateral damage than any other previous American president. So that's um, you know that's a tough example of of that the materialist view of things and how to gain control and power for particular, uh, no doubt, economic or power reasons within a region. It is a good example, mm. and, and also the way that his public image was crafted. You know, right to the end, he was seen as this smiling, friendly, next-door neighbour kind of um, president who would do the right thing, mm. and yet all of this other stuff went on. Exactly. Uh, a lot of it behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's come. Uh, let's take a little break before we come into the, into the green where we are now. If that's sure. okay, and I just want to quickly address because we are it's uh, twenty five to eleven here. We still got a bit of time left. I just want to address a couple of your relevant um, texts that have dropped in here. Uh, one person has written and said, "You just shed light on the twelve step program process. You two change makers rock." Thank you. Hey. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. Um, how that uh, relates? Maybe we can make a comment on that too but and someone else wrote when i asked how you were feeling out there with regards to what we we're talking about uh, one person's written and said yes i've been feeling a lot of fear and depression as have many of my friends in terms of environment runaway climate change it seems to have begun craziness of political leaders not changing course from raping and pillaging earth rising inequity rise of fascism uh, artificial intelligence, etc. And it's interesting how many people are afraid of that. Uh, feeling more connected to the suffering of the planet, she says, I do pray we will make the transition you speak of. My optimism is waning. Well, don't let it wane because it's just the process. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, that's that's a fairly, to me, in my experience, a fairly common position of many people in this region, this kind of sadness, this like longing for change and, and desperation and, and feeling that it's not happening quick enough. It's not Things are not changing fast enough. Yeah, I think it's very common, and you know, really, the, the person is describing their own passage through that sequence of change that we discussed before, where we all of a sudden we realise that the values we've been living by don't seem to be cutting it anymore. You know, for us personally or out there in the world, you know, they don't seem to be solving the problems. The problems are continuing to mount. Problems are becoming more complex, and we need a new way of solving these problems that we can't see yet. And that's the most difficult thing: is that going through this change process is a little bit like walking into a fog mm. you know you can when, mm. before you walk into the fog you can see everything you're oriented you know you know where you are and whether you're about to trip over or not but then you go into the fog and all of a sudden your visibility is reduced you can't see anywhere near as far into the future as you used to be able to and uh and you become disoriented you don't even know which way to head you know at some point and it's only when the the uh the fog breaks and you get that you know insight that visibility of what might be next um, that the reorientation process begins again, and it's it's important to understand that that is the change process. That's how it works, and you can um, take comfort from understanding where you are in that change process. And even if you're at the you know in the middle of the fog, feeling totally lost, don't know what you you value anymore, you know don't know what you should do. Just understand that okay, well that means you're right there in that you know chaotic crisis, imminent breakthrough territory. And so um, there are things that you can do to support your 
progression through that by some kind of regular practice, some kind of practice that's going to allow you to access insights, new perspectives. Um, changing your life conditions also is key. You know, uh, Step outside the box, go do something that you don't normally do, go meet some people you don't normally talk to. All of those sorts of things are steps that you can take when you're in that chaotic zone to help you progress further through the change process. Mm, beautiful. And just before we do take a break, I thought I'd... Uh, read this little poem that many of you may be familiar with, uh, which to me is uh, very applicable to layer five, we've just been talking about the materialistic layer and the the selfish economic and power um, gain that 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 layer of uh, value systems uh, is basically finds most important. And this is a little poem from I think the 16th or 17th century, um, arguably the sort of time when uh, that layer was sort of emerging on the planet. And it goes like this. The law locks up the man or woman who steals the goose off the common but leaves the greater villain loose who steals the common from the goose. The law demands that we atone when we take things we do not own but leaves the lords and ladies fine who takes things that are yours and mine. The poor and wretched don't escape if they conspire the law to break. This must be so, but they endure those who conspire to make the law. The law locks up the man or woman who steals the goose from off the common, and geese will still a common lack till they go and steal it back. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM. 10.46 here on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and myself, Nick Jeans. A couple of more texts, uh, just quickly. Um, someone's written and said, Been away and glad to hear Bay FM again. We mustn't lose sight of the leaders such as Obama, that they are actually puppets owned by those who bankroll them towards that leadership leadership position. Thanks, fellas, for another information-packed session. And yes, I mean, clearly our leaders in the frame, in the value systems from which they arose, are... Uh, to one degree or other, compromise probably were probably across the board, no matter which political strain they actually uh, operating from. Um, and the other other question, uh, thanks for that, is uh, could the concept of God's will be valuable in understanding the deeper, evolving, adaptive complexity of life on Earth and beyond? It's a big question. It's an interesting question, mm. and uh, I, I think if we take that concept, it certainly can, but many people wouldn't express it that way. Some people might call it the evolutionary impulse or some other name rather than God's will which implies a religious connection but nonetheless if we look past the language to the idea that there is a will and a direction that evolution is taking then uh, absolutely you know we could say that that is a driver you know the deepest driver that, that we might be aware of perhaps if we can tap into that um, and certainly like I, I I've got a background in Taoism, uh, mm. Chinese yes. philosophy, and that's very much about understanding the nature of reality and how it works. And it, it does very much say that there is a way. I mean, the Tao yeah. means the way. There is a way that we can follow, and if we pay attention and tap into that way, we can move with it, and life becomes effortless relatively. Yes, and as you mentioned, the I Ching, before I guess the I Ching is an expression through that, um, that general Taoist and Chinese philosophy uh, foundation of exactly that, that it's, uh, somehow it's actually a structured 
um, geometric uh, complexity of beingness that you can actually have access to through these modes of uh, prognostation, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. It was seen that way, and, and you know, these books were written a long time ago. And so, the, you know, there's been a very, very deep observation of the nature of reality, the way that it unfolds. Mm. Uh, that's led to the the documentation of things like the Book of Changes, you know, which which can uh, be connected so favourably with the absolute leading edge physics in terms of understanding mm. the structure of space time. So, you know, it's a very very deep insight there. Mm, absolutely, and last one just came into only tuned uh, only tuned in at ten twenty. Yet again, both you guys have discussed the subject with viewpoints of many, with polite yet direct accuracy of each viewpoint to stimulate thoughts on colliding those points of view, allowing respect of other people's points of view. I think we understand what you but thank you for that. Thank you. Beautiful. <laughs> Um, so we've only got a few minutes left. It's uh, 10.49 here. We're just looking at the, uh, the, the expressions of uh, how conflict operates in the different value systems. Yeah, and uh, and particularly what might drive each particular value system in the first tier of six mm. layers uh, to physical conflict. And so we've covered from one through five, which just leaves us to look at layer six. And layer six is very interesting because it seems to be the first value system that is emerging for humanity, which really questions the value of fighting and the purpose of fighting at all. And its key driver uh, is to achieve deep connection with other human beings. Mm. Um, and that in itself tends to run uh, in contrast to the idea of, of conflict. If, you know, how can you achieve or pursue deep connection with a human being if you're mm. in physical conflict with yeah. them? And so um, you know, Graves wrote that he sees this sixth layer as the most peaceful version of humanity that has ever walked the earth. Uh, and I, I certainly endorse that. And, and uh, you know, you can only need to look at all of the um, social justice movements, the you know, civil rights movements. Women's uh, movement. Um, yeah, all, all the, of those. The anti-war movement from the mm. 1960s and all of these things which are symptoms of the emergence of this new way of being human, mm. which, which certainly uh, seem to pursue the idea of peace. Yeah. And it's important to understand that even if somebody's operating from layer six as their dominant layer of values, given a, a sudden uh, and somewhat radical change in life conditions, they can regress to previous value systems. So it's, this is not to say that any individual who seems to be mostly operating for layer six might not resort to physical violence. Anyone can regress given the right life conditions and the right triggers you know, for them personally. So that's just something mm. to bear in mind. Um, and it, it all comes back to really paying attention to our life conditions. Yes, and I guess what, what occurs to, for me just then when you spoke is paying as much attention, conscious attention, this is, where, this is where practices of meditation, mindfulness and similar things are very valuable in being aware of how you perhaps slip back when, you are, when your value system is challenged, when you feel uh, unsafe or insecure in the place that you, you are in and something in your reality occurs and you find yourself, for example, becoming a bit more aggressive than you may naturally be. And to be aware of that and to be conscious of that, I mean, to me, that's a kind of first step in, in negotiating the, the space in a very conflicted world right now of, uh, of, um, of conflict resolution, of true conflict resolution and non, non-violent communication and those, those things which we acknowledge as sort of practices that have emerged out of stage uh, six as well, of layer six. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. Mm. Yeah. 
Uh, so we might just finish off the show yep. uh, revisiting this issue of exploitation by Layer 5, which is very, very topical at the moment. And it's something that is being uncovered gradually, globally. Uh, and, and I'm sure there's an astrological link to the Pluto hmm. stuff that's been yes, yes. going on. Yes, Pluto and Capricorn, good point. Uh, yeah. Revelation of, of deep, dark truths. And uh, what we're, we're seeing is the uncovering of previously shielded uh, value sets and behaviours which um, ha- have been brought to the surface primarily by the our increasing communications technology and the fact that everybody now has access to publishing on the internet. Uh, you know, when I say everybody, that's a generalisation, but, but most people have access to a device uh, on the planet these days and are able to put stuff on the internet. And so it's very, very hard for people to hide things. And, um, and of course, you know, you mentioned before the... the um, issue around George Pell and sexual abuse, which has just become a massive issue for the Catholic Church at the moment. And it, it's just an example of something that's been going on behind the scenes. There's been a public image that's been projected, which has sought to um, hide and obscure what's actually going on. But and a public image, image that claims moral authority. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, it's all coming out in the open. And we're seeing this not just in religion, but across all disciplines of life, um, you know, politics and economics and everything. All of these underlying hidden agendas are being brought to the surface. Yeah. And so uh, that's something that's going to continue, in my view, uh, for you know, maybe another decade or even two. We're going to see, in particular, though, over the next, let me see, probably... Um, what are we now, 2019, you know, I, I think for, for the next five to seven years in particular, we're going to get, see a lot of this more, more than we expect to see. Mm. Um, and it's something to be aware of um, just to keep on top of things is to just keep in mind the possibility that people are not always telling the truth. They're not mm. always projecting an image which truly reflects their values mm. or what they're up to behind the scenes. And, and this is part of the dismantling of the collapse of the modern scientific industrial paradigm, which has been the, the dominant mm. global paradigm for the past few so hundred years. As you're speaking, two words emerge in my consciousness, the word revelation and the word revolution. You know, the revolution, revelations are occurring at a faster pace at the moment, and the tendency is to want to have revolution in and you're sort of an old frame of that word. One could say it's all semantics, but, uh, but I'm, I, I felt then as you were speaking that being aware of the revelations doesn't necessarily have to lead to what we conceived as in the past as a revolution, like overthrowing in any in a, in a, in a sort of violent or anti-way, even though some aspects of that must happen, will happen, can happen, um, but somehow a, a conscious awareness of um, what is being revealed can lead us to other uh, ways of approaching the issues that we have on the planet and the challenges and how to actually solve them now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there there is such a thing as a peaceful revolution. Yes, uh, and you know, probably Gandhi was one of the, the standouts historically who demonstrated that uh, you know peaceful. Well, that's why we turned the word. Or you see, you, everybody's seen the word revolution turned to revolution. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and you know, it's an interesting word, mm. revolution. I mean, yeah, you know, it revolve. comes from revolve, right? Which is turning full circle. Mm. Uh, and as if you can imagine that, you know, you're standing on the edge of a record as it tu- as it's turning around, as it turns, you're taking di- different perspectives. So you you know you you're coming in full circle through different perspectives and back and, and a record is a two-dimensional example yeah. so it's not the best but it, but in a spiraling sense when you come back to full circle you're actually at a higher perspective in other words able to see more complexity than you could before indeed 
we're going to have to leave it there this week. But next week we're going to go flesh out uh, some of this, uh, these what we see coming in the next uh, 20 or 30 years from our perspective, is it? Yeah, we might um, have a look at some predictive milestones next week. And I, I just yeah. want to mention a resource, uh, mm. a conflict resolution resource, a wonderful one that I've been uh, using for years and years and years. It's the Conflict Resolution Network, mm. actually uh, an Australian organisation which I understand was uh, started with some funding through, from the United Nations. And their website is crnhq.org, and they have uh, a whole conflict resolution manual in there, which is full of some amazing tools if you ever have to take part in some kind of mediation or conflict resolution. Fantastic. That's it. Thanks uh, for joining us today here on Future Sense. That's uh, it from us, from Nick Jeans, and from Steve McDonald. We'll be with you next week. See you. Yeah. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.